friend. I am so glad that you're back here at Dr. B First. It's me, your colleague in medicine, coach in life, queen of burnout, princess of sass, <laughs> all of the things, Dr. Freakin' Aaron Wiseman. And today I am talking with Sarah Jenkins, PhD. She is a certified clinical health psychologist here in Indiana. She reached out to me because she wanted to talk about therapy isn't what you think and to be a resource for all of you out there. I just have to put a plug in for the Therapy Puss coaching combination. I have been doing it since this past summer. I absolutely freaking love it. Not just for what we talk about in the episode, but also after you've kind of like worked through all your shit and you kind of have some things going, you got some skills and you're living life. I really love going to my therapist and be able to sit down and have like a debriefing with her either on difficult clients, difficult patients, difficult employees situations, work situations, home situations. It's just a nice, safe space to go, here's all my shit. Can we dig through it together? (laughs) So without further ado, let's get into this conversation with Dr. Sarah Jenkins. Welcome to the podcast, Sarah Jenkins, pronouns she, her. She's here joining me today, and I'm so excited to have her as my guest. So Sarah, tell us a little about yourself and the magic you're putting out into the world. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm a clinical health psychologist, and for the past, oh, I don't know, 10 years, I've been working with physicians who are burnt out and depressed and anxious and feeling trapped. So It is one of my sort of uh, passions within health psychology is working with with physicians and helping them feel better. And did you fall into this niche or was it something that you like identified and like went after? Uh, Yeah, funny, funny, long story. I'll try to keep short. So one of my um, best friends was in medical school when I was in grad school. And through her, I met my now husband, who was also in medical school with her. And then you know, as we, when we moved up to Indy for his residency and for me to do my PhD, we were always just kind of running around with his residency friends. Um, and so then I got roped in, I can't remember exactly how, roped into working with the physicians at the Feeling Medicine Clinic, where I was getting my PhD and did a lot of like work with them with self-care, communication with patients, those sorts of things. And then since then, I've just sort of been continuing to do that work in different ways to where now it's more one-on-one working with physicians. And what have you seen since those like early beginnings where it was just kind of like cathartic to help your husband's friends out and all of us crazy residents versus now? What have you seen change and shift through from your eyes? Because I'm really interested. I know what it feels like from my side, from like the lived experience, but what have you seen? Yeah, well, it's been really nice to well, to see our friends kind of grow up in the profession and to see them come to that point where they're like, what am I doing? Do I want to do this forever? And seeing them be courageous and make some tough choices sometimes. From a professional standpoint, I've really enjoyed seeing that sort of play out in my patients, like making, whether it's small job changes or, or big job changes or like, no, I, I'm really going to start taking my self-care seriously and I'm going to come to therapy and I'm going to do this work. And this is a priority for me, for me now. So 
personally, it's been cool to see people's growth as a psychologist and seeing it in that way in the therapy room. It's a little bit different, but still super rewarding. Yeah, absolutely. And so the topic we're going to jump into today is therapy isn't what you think. All right. Tell me, why did you pick this topic? (laughs) Because I feel like therapy gets a bad rap. And there are lots of misconceptions out there about what it is. I think what what it is, is an effective strategy for living a healthy life. It's one of those tools for living a healthy life. And I think it's one of the most underutilized tools out there for professionals, people, you know, healthy, well-balanced people, I think could even benefit from therapy. Absolutely. So full disclosure here to you and everyone living. I have a therapist as well. I utilize my therapist. It's been so important for me. My journey had been, so I'm family medicine. We had a psychologist in our residency, but she was just pretty much like check in with us and like, were you dying? Did you have a pulse? Okay. You know, like move on. I know she cared more about it, but there wasn't really like the wellness structuring that needed to be. And I know that ACGME is pushing in that direction. She would do like some communication stuff and, you know, had had to watch the videos and all of that kind of BS and that sort of thing. But it wasn't until several years ago now I started working with a psych residency and I was so enthused that like every resident got their own therapist and they got their own debriefing groups. And I was like, where was this in family medicine residency? And It was another thing, too, as I was talking to the program director, who is a great friend of mine now, that she was like, no, Erin, this is like how you stay healthy when you're dealing with problems. And I was like, well, you know, family medicine is like 65% psych. And she was like, I know. And, And everybody needs someone. So I'm a huge advocate for both, for therapy and for coaching, because I think, you know, you can... You can do both. There's not like an either or. And like you said, it's another one of those tools in your wellness tool belt that you get to pull out and to use, whether it's in bad times and boring times or in good times. Absolutely. I One of the sort of pushbacks I hear sometimes is that like, you know, things aren't so bad. They've been way worse before. Like I'm doing okay, trudging through. But my response is almost always, well, if you only went to the dentist, like when your tooth was rotten, that's, I mean, helpful, but is it as helpful as it could be if you went for like your semi-annual visits and you brush and floss your teeth every day? Like there are these sort of preventative things that we can do to keep us from having those rotten teeth. Just like there's preventive things we can do that can keep us from, you know, exploding and everything. You want to set everything on fire and all those sorts of things. There are these ways and tools that you can learn before it gets to that degree. And I think sometimes people wait too long till again, everything's on fire and then it's, you know, just a mess. Burn the motherfucker down. Yes. It gets way too bad as far as with that. I feel like in the profession of medicine, there is huge stigma of ourselves, Mm -hmm. like to submit ourselves to therapy or to to go there. I know that was something for me. I almost had to like break my ego. Does that make sense? Yes. Mm-hmm. Can you speak to that? Yes. That you've seen or or experienced? Yes, that's that's a thing. I'm not sure. <laughs> I wish we understood more about why. I have all kinds of hypotheses about why that might be. Think- well, tell us, tell yeah, us. I want to well- hear these cuz we'll psychoanalyze ourselves. <laughs> why you talk? <laughs> well, I think pride 
is a huge factor to say like, okay, I'm going to go in and talk to Sarah about what's going on with me. And, and what is she going to think? Or is she going to think I'm not as smart as I portray? Or is she going to think that I don't have my shit together or whatever it might be? So I think pride is a huge one. I think perfectionism is a second one. Most physicians are used to being super high achieving, super high functioning, wanting to do all the right things, get all the gold, the gold stars, all those things. Um, but this is different. Coming to someone who's an expert in their field and saying, hey, can you be my coach, my consultant, my therapist is not admitting any kind of imperfection is admitting that you're human. And I think within the field of medicine, there's a real sort of block <laughs> when it comes to embracing humanness. I think you're right. And, you know, part of that is self-protective because if you felt the feels in the middle of a, you know, fetal demise delivery, Mm -hmm. you wouldn't be able to get through it. Like you have to like lock it up. Compartmentalize it. Yeah. And, and I know where I got pathologic is when I like lost the keys and I forgot how to uncompartmentalize and how to when I really truly learned how to debrief and how to like, okay, now I can feel the feels and now I can process it. And now I can sit with it and let it. And eventually I can't let it go. Cause I'm not that type of person, but it eventually does wear off and let it flow yeah. is so important. So I think, I think part of that is by the nature of the system. Like we just have to, but I think also too, like you hit on two really good points with perfectionism and pride is people who go into med school, we're not wimps. I mean, we're not like we are the best and the brightest mm-hmm. and even people who haven't gone in, I'm not talking against them. I think there are some great people who didn't go to med school who probably should have been, but the damn system was too mean and blocked them out either through prejudices or biases or because they did feel their feelings and they were in touch with that. And then they realized like, this sucks. I'm not sticking around for it. Right. right. No, absolutely. And I think part of that being an exceptional is also a barrier when it comes to saying like, I don't always have to be this way. It's just like, you know, if, if you're in surgery, and you have to go pee and you have to learn how to hold it for eight hours or whatever when you lose the keys on like, where am I? Is that a skill that I need to transfer? No. Okay. I can go to the bathroom now. I'm not in surgery. I think sometimes that compartmentalization can really become super rigid, just like the perfectionism and just like that idea of, I have to be exceptional all the time. Oh my God. I have to tell you a story. I did this last night. So worked all day in clinic, Finished late, went to the grocery store because my family thinks they're going to die because they don't have ice cream and milk. Got home and it was like, you know, of course, like you don't carry just like one bag in. You carry like two jugs of milk and like two bags. And finally, I got the children to help me and I got it all inside. And I was like, okay, it's time to put it away. You know, like it was a good grocery trip. And I was like starting to, and then I was like, I need to go to the bathroom. I need to like change out of my clinic clothes. Maybe I should just like take a shower and get the MRSA off of me, you know, like. But I had to make that conscious decision because I was going to push through. Yep. I was going to get all of those groceries put away. I was going to start dinner. But I have to tell you, Sarah, it's a success. I stopped. I went pee. I didn't take a shower, but I at least changed out of my clinic clothes and turned a podcast on and then went back and put my groceries away. And the world did not end? No. And my ice cream didn't melt. It was fine. <laughs> so even just that moment of like being able to pause and be like, oh, I don't like actually have to just keep on pushing through was but like 
two years ago, I wouldn't have done that. Yeah. Yeah. I would have just got that shit done. Right. And then I'd been pissed and angry because nobody helped me, but I didn't say anything because I was pushing through. Yeah. Yep. Sounds, yep. sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, one big question that I wrote down as you were talking was, do you have like a specific pathway framework that you work people through as they come to you? Or are you a little bit more like free form as a therapist? Well, I could go on forever about theory and how I conceptualize situations, but, but typically I work through a biopsychosocial model, which means I see, you know, a person as a whole person and all those different aspects are important, but theoretically I operate from a cognitive behavioral and interpersonal therapy model. A lot of our focus too is on skill building. And from that I do more dialect behavior therapy, which is a third wave CBT. All that to say, the focus is, thoughts, feelings, behaviors, how those things impact your everyday life. Eventually we might get to where do those things kind of come from? Where do those patterns develop? But really the focus is on building those skills. Within that though, within skill building, we have to sort of take it at the ground level of let's build some awareness of what you're doing or not doing. Let's build some awareness of you walking in and feeling like you have to do it all. Instead of just taking that break. So it's kind of like that building awareness stage is like walking into a dark room and turning on the light and just seeing what's there. What's what's in your life? What's going on? Why are you doing things the way you're doing them? Knowledge is sort of the next thing once the awareness is there. Knowledge of, again, where these patterns come from. Why am I doing what I'm doing? What are the pros and cons of what I'm doing? Then we have skills, which are the tool building pieces. Like, okay. I noticed this perfectionistic pattern within myself that's like overgeneralized to all these different areas of my life and not just medicine. And it's really impacting my relationships because I have too high expectations of people and they disappoint me and then I get sad and whatever and isolate. So then we build some skills for that and then we say, okay, now it's action time. Now you get to apply those. You get to apply them and report back and all those sorts of things that go on outside of, of the session those are the data points. Those are the things that we're going to be looking at and the data we're going to be collecting to say, is, is this working? Is this effective? Is this a tool that you could have in your toolbox for the long term? So that when your perfectionism is acting up, how do you know? And what do you do about it? Yeah, because it's not if it comes back, it's when. when. For sure. It's a management thing. I think that's one of those other misconceptions is like, let's we'll stick with perfectionism. I got to get rid of this perfectionism. Right. And it's like, uh, you don't know, like it serves a purpose. Like there's functional perfection. Totally. It's probably how you got to where you are, the successes that you have, but what's not as functional and what's more, what we consider neurotic would be trying to rigidly apply perfectionistic standards in every area of your life and onto other people. That's what yeah, becomes absolutely. problematic. Same thing with depression, anxiety, right? Like a little bit of anxiety, good thing. Expecting it to be able to go away ever. Nah, let's look at management. How do we make it functional within this? How do you be anxious enough to check your doors once, but not 30 times? And do the best that we can in the long term to really manage it so that when it does flare up and act up, you have tools for dealing with that. Okay, another question since you brought up anxiety and depression. What's your thoughts on the interplay between anxiety, depression, and burnout? Do you see it as like a continuum? What's your PhD brain think about it? Yeah. Conceptually, I kind of, I don't know if you've ever seen the pictures of like the grief cycle, 
how it's just mm-hmm. a wheel that just they feed off of each other, all the different stages of grief. I think that's how I conceptually think about burnout. I've never, because here's the hard part. I've never worked with a burnout physician who doesn't score significant scores on depression, anxiety inventories, but I have worked with depressed and anxious physicians who aren't burnout. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I think really they all kind of feed off of each other. And if you already have a predisposition for depression, anxiety, it's definitely going to make you more vulnerable to burnout. Absolutely. Here's my thoughts on it. Like it doesn't matter if it's depression, because sometimes people, you know, as a coach, I'm not functioning in like my physician role. I I really am sitting back and being like, no, I'm coach Aaron right now, um, who just happens to have a degree on the wall. So I'm not diagnosing or treating at that point. And so I say a lot of times like, and you're right, like I haven't met a person that truly is burnt out who hasn't exhibited, like you said, if you do a PHQ-9 on them, or if I were to do a GAD-7 score, like, yeah. But it's not so much of the For me, it's like asking the client, what's the words that feel like they fit for you? And then that's when I do a lot of co-management where I send people because I think, like I told you before, you need both. Mm. You need a therapist. You need a coach. And sometimes you need even medication management. So that may be going and seeing your family doc, a psychiatrist, you know, and because there's nothing wrong to have extra tools in your toolbox. like. And not everything can be a hammer, right? you know? Absolutely. And I, my motto too is like better living through chemistry, right? Like if I had a heart problem, I would not hesitate to take medication to help my heart. And I don't, I don't know what that block is for so many people, but like our, our brains and organs. And sometimes we need medicine to help it work right. And that's okay. Yeah. Artificial manufactured serotonin is just as good. It's just as good. You know, my brain doesn't know the difference. Isn't that the best part? No, it's the best part. My other thing too about like the anxiety, depression, burnout thing, I wanted to sort of add in as you were talking, I was thinking about something else that's come up a lot in my work with physicians is that, you know, you guys sacrifice your 20s to training. And the 20s are when like most quote unquote normals get to like develop their identity and explore all these cool things and take cool trips and deal with difficult, I don't know, breakups or, you know, and not that physicians don't get to do that, but it's definitely not to the same degree, not the same luxury of trial and error and messing up and all those sorts of things. And so a lot of times what I see in the sort of burnout, anxiety, depression cycle too, is this sort of feeling of, oh, this is what I thought I always wanted to do. And I thought when I got it done, then I would be happy. And then I would really feel like myself. And it's sort of a a sad awakening when people come to that point like, oh, I'm done with all this and I'm still just me. And I didn't get to do all that work in the 20s that my contemporaries did of figuring out who they actually are. And so I think sometimes that can contribute to that cycle. Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. I would say that, that I think that's the experience of most folks. And of course, you know, there's like a couple people I went to med school with, which it was a second career. And I did kind of always look at them like, man, you guys got to live life. Why I like just went straight through. Right. Absolutely. Had so, the luxury of figuring themselves out. Yeah. And I, I look at my contemporaries too, who did something different, not in medicine And they did get to try a few things. And so that's why I remind folks that come to me, like, 
it's okay to change. That's kind of the norm. I think the average job change now is somewhere between eight and nine times for the average American worker. It is what it is. And like reminding ourselves that the the kid at 18 who chose medicine is definitely a lot different than the woman who's 39 now sitting in front of you. Right. Absolutely. And and you made the best decision you could with the data that you had at the time. Yeah. And you just, now it's, it's doing it all over again. The journey doesn't end. That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, I love it. Thank you so much for the work that you're doing with physician colleagues. Are you just licensed in Indiana or are you doing telemedicine in other states? Yeah. So for right now, just Indiana, as of July 1, our state just passed legislation that will allow us to do telehealth in other states. I think there's 29 States within that. So as of the summer, I'll be open to a lot more. I'll have a lot more availability and who I can see. Well, great. Well, talk a little bit about your contact information, what it's like to work with you, because I imagine there's people out there who would love to connect. Okay, cool. So anyone can go to our website is H-P-A-N-D. So H-P-A-I-N-D-Y.com. And on there, you can message me. I have a, just an email button or my colleague, Dr. Tom Barbera, who's also a health psychologist and who worked for 17 years as the psychologist in a family medicine residency clinic. So he loves working with physicians as well. It's probably the best way to get a hold of us. He operates from a very similar lens, CBT, and is all about, you know, building skills for the long term. Great. And I know another question that sometimes comes up with doctors because we don't actually like to utilize our health services, like our health insurance. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So do you take health insurance, self-pay, combination of both? What is that like? So we are both panel Blue Cross Blue Shield, and then we do private pay as well. And then we can provide any documentation if you want to apply for out-of-network benefits or anything like that. Or the lack of documentation, because that was going to be my last thing is that So many doctors, they don't want to go to the therapist in their town, or they do want to see somebody who has a license in their state, but across state lines because of that confidentiality and safe space, because it doesn't always feel safe to talk about your mental health. So talk a little to that and, and how you provide that for folks. That safety. Yeah. Well, I tell this to everyone, like I keep my notes very vague to protect your privacy. And, you know, of course I have them legally what I have to provide, but as far as like putting the scoop of everything that was said in session in there, I do not do. So from that standpoint, no Joe Schmo is going to be able to look at the note and have really any idea (laughs) as far as the details of what we're discussing. It's usually broad themes of we discuss coping skills for anxiety and she is going to work on, I don't know, deep breathing between now and next time, hopefully three to five times whatever it might be. Yeah. So it's real generic like that, again, to protect your privacy. Of course, exceptions would be if there's any suicidal, homicidal ideation and sort of stuff. A lot, I mean, I've never had any, knock on wood, any pushback on anything that I've ever written or even requests to see notes unless I'm involved in some, you know, someone's getting sued or something, you know, that doesn't really happen, especially for people who are just anxious and depressed. They don't, Yeah. no. And I think that's a really good point to make is to take the scary out because I think we all think of the worst case scenario, like, oh my God, the state board is going to come sniffing around and, you know, they're going to request who I see. And 
but you're right. It very, very, very rarely happens. Right. And in most cases, it's after the fact when the board has already been involved. And that's when it gets kind of bad and ugly. So it's it getting ahead of that, I think, is so, so very important. That's the thing. When I've worked with people who have been referred from the board, that's usually their complaint. Like, why did I let it get this bad? So now that the board has to mandate this when, you know, 10 years before they could have been in a better place. So, yeah. Well, Sarah, thank you so much. Dr. Jenkins, thank you for coming on Dr. Me First. Thank you so much for being a resource for all of us. I think now more than any time, it is so important to have resources, to have tools in the tool belt. And I know you're providing that for my colleagues here in Indiana and soon, hopefully all those people around the country. So thank you so much for that. Thank you. I appreciate your time. friend, if you think you're burned out, you probably are. But I've got some good news for you. Head on over to burntouttobadass.com where you can get a CME course. That's right. CME credits to get yourself out of a place of burnout and back to being a total and absolute badass. You'll go through 12 different modules. You'll get to chitty chat with me on the backside and have lots of fun exercises and thought work to do to help you move from a place of just surviving to absolute thriving. So far, we've had many physicians go through the program and they absolutely love it. One of those docs the other day even mentioned to me that she went back and recently did the report card exercise. And you know the wheel of life is in there. If you followed me for half a second, it's definitely one of my top exercises. But anyway, before I give all the details away, go over to burntouttobadass.com and check out the self-paced course Same title, Burnt Out to Badass, and get you some CME hours today. I really think she hit the nail on the head when she was talking about pride, perfectionism, and exceptionalism. Kind of hit me in the aorta on that one. Not going to lie about that. I hope you found that conversation as beneficial as I did. If you don't have a therapist, I'm again going to push you into it and say, you need to get you some. If you don't have someone to help you coach either, I would say, reach out to me, you friend. Both can provide great spaces. Both have niches in in each area. And I just want you to know that it's okay to ask for help. Actually, it's mandatory as a human that occasionally you take other people's help. And guess what? It makes life so much easier and fun. So what are you waiting for? Reach out today. Remember, my friends, your life, your calling, your pulse matters. See ya.